The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Emily Thorne Carthay. She's the chair of the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers Energy Task Force and the founder of Thorne Associates, an energy and carbon management system consulting corporation. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Laura. Pleasure to be here. So you have a lot of experience with energy and uh, you are a former engineer yourself, I think. Is that right? Uh, yeah, still currently uh, an engineer, yeah, professional engineer, and but I was pro- uh, formerly on the board of directors of the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, yes. Yeah, that's awesome. And you went to school for that too. I went to school with uh, some female energy engineers in the military, um, and they were, they were really fun to hang out with. So it's kind of awesome because I think it's something that you don't really think about uh, women going into so much, but there actually are quite a bit, and I, I think that that's super fantastic. And I think you do something with... Um, like gender equality as well in engineering, is that right? Yeah, exactly. So um, I actually founded with a, a co-founder an organization called Step Up. It's a nonprofit uh, whose mission is a breakthrough in energy management performance uh, through improved gender equity. So basically, we're aiming to get more mid and career senior uh, level women into the C-suite and into uh, board level positions, um, all with the goal. It's been proven through um, science that uh, more women at the board and executive level actually improves environmental performance. So um, yeah, can tell you more about that if you'd like, but I have some reports to back that up. Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, Yeah, I think I've read a little bit of of stuff like that, but it's kind of neat to see it in this field as well. Um, I really want to get into the the energy and the grid and and things like that. Now, Ontario's grid is going to be a little bit different than your grid um, from wherever you're listening from. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, But grids are certainly different around the world. So we're going to focus on Ontario's energy grid because Emily's an expert in our grid here. And uh, there's something really cool about our grid, and that is that 95% of Ontario's electricity is now emission-free, right? So how did Ontario achieve that? Yeah, absolutely. They actually achieved that through um, eliminating all coal-fired electricity plants, and that was done in 2014. Ontario is actually a a world leader. So um, the only sort of fossil fuel-generated electricity left in Ontario is natural gas. And as you mentioned, it is uh, in around uh, only 5%. So um, often people think of, you know, California or Germany as having the cleanest electricity, but Ontario is actually a world uh, leader. And in terms of the reduction, how did, you know, we just take offline the coal-fired electricity plants? Who kind of picked up the slack? Well, about 70% of the reduction was from restarting uh, um, nuclear reactors. About 10% was from natural gas, and 20% was from the in recent investments in hydroelectric, wind, and solar. Uh, one important point um, to mention, though, about our electricity grid it is very clean, which is fantastic, but electricity does only represent about 20% of our entire energy usage. So the other 80% um, of our energy is mainly um, for 
heating and transportation uh, and industrial uses, so in basically in industry buildings and transportation, where there's still large carbon emissions. So um, that's really where we need to focus in terms of carbon emissions. And a clean grid is an enabler of uh, electrification of transportation and heating. So uh, we still have a long way to go, but uh, this uh, clean grid is going to be a key for us um, going forward. Mm-hmm. So we're we're going to get into some questions a little bit later about like electric cars and uh, heating our homes and stuff. Um, but I, I just want to stay on the, the Ontario grid, like, you know, cleaning itself up basically. So um, do you know how much CO2 like Ontario's grid has reduced? Because I think it's quite a bit, right, since the 1990s? Yeah, absolutely. About 90%. So um, a, hu- a well, huge amount. Yeah. And um now, when the Pickering nuclear plant does shut down in a few years, emissions are expected to rise as natural gas is going to be used to replace the nuclear. Alternatively, you know, Ontario could replace Pickering with new nuclear units or more energy storage combined with renewables um, would be a bit higher cost, but it, emissions would not rise. So we'll see uh, where we go. But certainly since the 90s, we've had uh, a huge reduction. Cool. So in, in terms of number of homes, um how much surplus electricity is Ontario typically producing? Because I think now this is kind of an issue that uh, that you guys are looking into, right? Is that now we're producing a surplus? Yeah. So in terms of surplus um, electricity in 2019, there was enough power to power approximately 720,000 homes. Um, and in addition, so that's surplus that's that's wasted but then in addition to the wasted electricity we actually um, export electricity at very low prices to neighboring jurisdictions and that exported uh, power at low prices uh, would be about 1.2 million homes so in total between wasted and exporting you're actually getting close to uh, 2 million homes worth of power that we're just wasting at wasting or exporting at, at low prices yeah. yeah. So our grid. So who are we exporting it to? Like our who are the the neighbors that are connected to the Ontario grid that kind of benefit from our surplus? Yeah. So uh, Ontario currently has uh, interconnections with five of uh, all five of its neighbors. So Quebec, Manitoba, Minnesota, Michigan and New York. So we have major connections with uh, Quebec, New York and Michigan and smaller connections to Manitoba and Minnesota. So we sell um, our clean uh, surplus electricity mostly to Michigan, New York, and Quebec. Wow. that's It's so crazy to just imagine, you know, if you look at the world map or something, like how connected we are, you know, that we can we can be sending our energy so far away. And I think that that's very cool. Um, so, so we're not really, like, are we losing money when we sell it to these other places? And if so... Why aren't we able to make money off of it? So there is a few nuances. So it it depends exactly on how you do some of your counting. But essentially, to try and simplify, um, we do get paid a small amount. That's why I mentioned we sell uh, or we export at low prices. So it's not usually zero, although in some cases it can be. But typically, it's um, low prices, and that will cover what's called the marginal cost of production. So it, it does not. What it does not cover is all our fixed infrastructure cost. And actually, when you have a clean grid like we do in in Ontario, the vast majority of the whole sort of system grid cost is actually in that infrastructure piece. And it's not. If you think about um, hydroelectric power with with water, that's um, basically the fuel there is water. It, it's free essentially, just to you know 
pump it down the, or I mean, for it to go down the dams uh, with wind and solar. Of course, wind and solar are again um, free. Nuclear, the fuel cost is fairly minimal um, compared to you know building the infrastructure to make a nuclear power plant. So compared to a coal power plant where the fuel you have to pay for the coal or you have to pay for the natural gas, um, those would have higher marginal costs. And so um, the I guess the whole cost system was more designed for in the olden days when you had lots of uh, fuel costs. Okay, so does this get into like the fixed costs and the variable costs? Because I had a little bit of trouble understanding it. So I did read the report on this proposal to lower, I think, variable costs, right, for Ontario? So the OSPE, yeah, Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, our um, price plan, uh, yes, what we're suggesting is that um, consumers, mainly retail consumers, so that would be, you know, homeowners or small businesses would be able to access um, the clean surplus electricity at very low cost. Um, at, so typically at night, so at what's called the wholesale price. So that would be maybe 0.5 cents per kilowatt hour or one cent per kilowatt hour, whereas normally now you're paying around 12 cents, um, 13 cents per kilowatt hour. So you'd be That's able to big. access it. Yeah, a huge a difference. difference. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe would you, I could go into sort of the difference, um, you know, why fixed costs are high and variable costs are, are low and why this is sort of costing more money. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Because, you know, the biggest criticism I hear of the greening of Ontario's grid is that it's too expensive and has made costs too expensive. And everybody's like griping about it, especially like the people on the right. You know, they're they're like, oh, don't don't go down the path of Ontario, you know, because it's going to put your energy costs up. But it's pretty amazing that we have made it so green. So I, I like that idea. But yeah, if you want to talk a little bit about that, that would um, maybe clear a little bit of that up. Sure. So I'll just first maybe address your point about, you know, that that renewable energy is uh, is expensive. I mean, first of all, costs um, are going way down and have already gone way down in terms of, you know, solar panels and um, uh, wind turbines, etc. Um, it, it is still uh, quite expensive. However, I think a lot of people miss the fact that they're not properly accounting for the whole um, holistic system benefits. You really need to put some numbers, some dollar figures to the health benefits um, of having a you know clean clean grid. Um, in terms of when we shut off our coal-fired um, plants, um, then the amount of smog days. I think they were at 50 something and went to zero. Uh, you know, there's huge health benefits there from you know people who have asthma or that kind of thing, and just every everybody benefits from uh, less. Air, air pollution, right? And, um, you know, the carbon pricing is not where it needs to be in terms of to properly value, again, the health and the environment. So if people start taking into account, I think, holistic costs, then um, the, it'll become a more clear picture. So that was sort of on your first point. I'll get back mm -hmm. to sort of why fixed costs are high and variable costs are low for the grid and why is this sort of costing us more money. So in a low emission uh, grid electricity system like Ontario, uh, the operating costs are small, as I was mentioning. So, you know, the sun's energy is free. So operating costs for solar panels are very low, maybe just a bit of maintenance for wind turbines. Again, the wind blows freely. Um, and same, you know, similarly for water and, and nuclear power, the, as I mentioned, the uranium feels pretty cheap. Um, so the variable costs, which are the operating costs directly related to energy production, are low. Uh, there's little or no fuel costs. So that kind of explains why the variable costs are low. Um, and the next part of your question was, you know, why are fixed costs high? So 
fixed costs are these infrastructure, the nuclear power plant, a grid scale solar um, plant or, or wind. Um, so in the case of Ontario, long-term fixed price electricity contracts are used typically to pay for those fixed costs. So for 20 years or more. So there's contracts that are signed for, for 20 years or more. And these costs to build this infrastructure are very high relative um, to high emission electricity plants like like natural gas, the, the costs are locked in when you sign a long-term contract um, to build like a certain capacity generation plant. And you know, if you don't fully use the energy coming from these low emission plants, um, then the capital investment is partially wasted and that can contribute to higher electricity rates. So I guess the last part of your question you know, was, you know, why does this cost us more money? Well, in, in one way, it can cost us more money because it's not flexible. So one of the key aspects of our electricity system is the time factor. Um, if you do not have cheap and efficient storage, energy storage, the demand for electricity and the supply for electricity at every instant in time must match exactly. So this time factor is really key. And the key to unlocking a flexible system is cheap and efficient energy storage. Um, and there are very many smart companies working on improving energy storage right now. And in my personal opinion, energy storage being cheap and flexible and efficient is the key to unlocking the electricity price issue. See, I, I'm a little bit on the nuclear side. Like, I think that that has a lot of appeal to me uh, because it it is so low emissions, but like such a high output. Um, but it seems like we don't have any sort of shortage issue. But but once that that uh, nuclear plant goes down, if it does, um, I think it was Pickering, Pickering, right, near Toronto, then, like you said, we might have to bring more natural gas, right? Because the, the, thing, the thing that's important to understand, I think, for listeners is that wind and solar are, they don't go all the time. And so you always have to have something backing it up because, like you said, it, we don't have the storage issue figured out, right? Correct, correct. And it might be helpful for a background for our listeners to um, go through kind of the makeup of the Ontario grid. So right now, in terms of uh, in 2019, the, the yearly energy output was about 60% nuclear, about a quarter percent hydroelectric, so water like dams, basically. Um, uh, wind was about 7% and natural gas was about 6%. And then there was less than 1% of our energy output from, from solar or biofuel. Um, now, those are all the energy output. One other thing that's important to keep in mind is that is different than your installed capacity. So what is actually used, which is what the numbers I just gave you, is can be quite different from the installed capacity, which is the potential, like the infrastructure, again, what could potentially be used, which, you know, because we have lots of surplus, uh, the capacity is quite a lot bigger. Um, so there that uh, that changes to, in that, this case, about a third nuclear, a third gas, actually, and then about a quarter hydro and a bit of wind, about 10 percent, 12 percent wind, actually. So so some so sometimes it can go up to 30 percent natural gas. Is that what you're saying? It, it could. We have the capacity. I yeah. don't think in reality yeah. it does very often. Um, I would say generally it would be between, you know, zero and 10. Um, but it, yeah, it, that we do have the capacity if required to go up to 30% gas. So it's good to hear that we've got the capacity because I've also had people ask me, 
what happens if everybody just switches to electric vehicles? Are we going to just like blow the grid? <laughs> like, I think that's what people kind of think, right? Because you're just going to have this huge thing. And I, I always thought that, you know, it, we would have enough capacity. Um, and, and, and by the way, it's not realistic for everyone, I don't think, to have electric cars because some of the routes that I drive in Canada don't have the refueling stations because we're in a kind of a remote area. Um, but let's just say hypothetically, if everyone in Ontario was to switch to an electric vehicle, like the would the grid be able to handle that? Uh, right now, it would put a, a big strain. So, so that would if everybody switched immediately. But that's, um, as you mentioned, not a, a realistic um, kind of uh, scenario right now. There is plenty of surplus electricity to charge electric cars based on sort of current forecasts for about the next 10 years. Um, cars are mainly charged at night, which is a key. Again, that time factor is really important because at night there's plenty of surplus electricity. And actually it doesn't even have to um, be, you know, at certain hours in the night. Usually if you have it plugged in, so you get home from work at say, I don't know, 6 p.m. and then you don't need it again till say 7 a.m., you know, you have over 12 hours and maybe the charging might only take, you know, a couple hours, depending on what size of charger you have, or maybe six hours, whatever it is. So that means we have lots of surplus electricity. One area of near-term concern could be local street transformers, um, their electrical equipment that basically change voltages. Anyways, so basically, if you have many customers connected to the same street transformer um, that were to purchase electric vehicles in the same neighborhood, that could mean a larger street transformer would be required from their local distribution company, such as, for example, Toronto Hydro or Electra, to get power to the local residents. Um, I myself am a, an EV, proud EV owner, and um, you know, with a good range, even in remote areas, you can uh, you can charge it up. And we just we actually don't have a a high speed charger. We just use our normal plug, just like you'd plug in your computer. And uh, it takes a long time, but we we have the time, so we don't drive too much. Yeah, my friend does that too. Uh, he just had like a dryer plug, so you can do like a regular like dryer plug if you need to, or you can get like a proper thing for a Tesla that that uh, charges really fast at your house. Um, but they also have a thing on on the app where you can you can say, you know, I don't need my car until seven in the morning, and then it kind of has your car like topped up ready at that time, which I think yeah, is super nice. Exactly. The sort of smart chargers. And that was what I was kind yeah. of implying with the with the timing that with these smart electric chargers, then um, they can get signals from the grid as it, you know, in the future as it gets more interactive. That could be something that could be envisioned is, you know, if the grid is, you know, busy, or like getting closer to capacity, then it says to the electric vehicle charges all of them in Ontario, hey, wait a sec, you know, till uh, midnight or something like that. It, it to my knowledge, I don't think that's done yet. But um, as you say, it's controlled at the car yourself. Um, but I think uh, there's um, yeah, certainly uh, potential for that. So that, that's what I would love to have is an app. And then I could just set up my notifications, voluntary, right, where the hydro can, can tell me, hey, you know, it just dropped from 12 cents an hour to like 0.5 cents an hour. Like I would get up and like do laundry and stuff probably. <laughs> like I think that would <laughs> that would be kind of neat if there was just an app that would tell you um, when the wind when the wind's blowing. Like it's a really windy day today. So I'm sure, you know, that would be kind of cool to take advantage of that. Right. Definitely. And we could take it even one step further. You could have a controller that where you ahead of time look at the prices and you have price thresholds and you say when it drops below, like you, you program it in when it drops, 
uh, below this certain price, then just um, you know let uh, then your laundry machine can start or that kind of thing. Where it can get to that point at some point. So. Oh, that would that would be nice. Or yeah, the dishwasher <laughs> or something like. Cause yeah. you know how you can you go to bed and you can like set your dishwasher for a delay. Um, yeah. That would be kind of neat if we could do that. But I I wanted to know like if you have an, a specific example of how companies could take advantage of this because the only thing I can kind of picture in my head <laughs> is you know a factory saying okay, it's 2 a.m. Everybody, you know, wake up from your houses and come to the factory. We're going to do our shift now because the wind is blowing. Like that just doesn't seem really practical to me. <laughs> so how, how, how would businesses take advantage of the surplus? Sure. Yeah, no, that's a good question. And um, no, we're not, we're not uh, anticipating trying to get factories to open at night that are not normally uh, running at night. So um, OSPE, so the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers plan is designed mainly for um, retail customers. So homeowners and small businesses and um, the surplus clean electricity represents about 15% of the maximum electrical production. And that amount of energy can be easily used to make hot water, for example, um, charge electric vehicles, um, and then to a lesser extent, space heating. So basically, um, the consumer would need to purchase dual fuel uh, water heaters, so electric and say natural gas, for example, and electric space heaters to supplement the natural gas. And it would have smart controllers. So the, the homeowner or small business owner would not need to do anything. And basically, there would be a signal that comes from the local distribution company, again, like um, Electra or Toronto Hydro. And um, when the surplus clean emissions free electricity was available, you, it would just have this little signal from the utility and um, your uh, that would go right to your uh, smart controller on this sort of dual fuel water heater. And it would just switch over from natural gas to electricity without you having to do anything. Um, from a uh, industrial perspective. Um, so industrial companies, they can actually use the surplus electricity to make clean hydrogen uh, through electrolysis. So electrolysis is a process that um, basically you use electricity to split water. So as your listeners may remember, water is H2O. So that means it has hydrogen and oxygen in it. So when you um, use the clean surplus electricity, um, in this electrolysis process through, through what's called an electrolyzer, it, you just need water and electricity and then out comes clean hydrogen and oxygen. And the clean hydrogen uh, could then be used for fuel cell cars or in industrial uh, chemical processes. So is that a process that can be kind of manual? Because like, like I'm saying, do you, would you have to start bringing people into those night shift kind of jobs to be making this hydrogen to take advantage of the the cheap electricity at night um no i mean i think you could i mean there's always a safety factor right so in engineering uh safety is always number one so you might depending on this different situations you might need to have a person in the plant kind of um, overall, I mean, a lot of companies, the companies I typically deal with in my my company in, with Thorn Associates, they're 24/7, so they're always operating anyway. Oh, yeah. So as long as someone, you know, as long as someone's around, then many many industrial companies are working 24/7 no matter what. So that wouldn't really be a big deal. Um, some are only 24/5, which would be you know five days a week, 24 hours. But again, um, they would maybe you would just do it on the weekdays in that case, but um, it would be designed to be automatic. So you'd have, a, again, a controller that when the utility would send the signal to um, 
your, uh, you'd have this controller um, on your electrolyzer and it would get this signal, okay, now I can start making my, you know, uh, using this clean electricity to make my clean hydrogen and, uh, and then it would uh, start up again, assuming safety-wise, et cetera. It, it's probably preferable to have someone there ideally. So if you're listening and thinking, well, is this all just like some hypothetical in the future kind of thing. Uh, my house has like a basic kind of version of this, I would say. So we have a heat pump that's outside. So we cool and heat our home with electricity. And then when it gets to minus 15 Celsius, then our propane will kick in. Um, so I think that we kind of have this already a little bit right where we can there's just like a an automatic switch like I don't have to do anything I don't even notice when it when it happens really which is nice because imagine imagine getting an alert like it's really cold you need to go switch to fossil fuel <laughs> <laughs> like I don't have to yeah. do that it just happens <laughs> yeah no that's a perfect example Laura absolutely congrats for having a having a heat pump that's fantastic oh thank you I'm glad to hear about it because I, I thought that it was the best thing um but you never know. It's really hard to like sort through all the information that you hear about which is good and which is bad and which is, you know, doing the, the most. And um, it's really tough. There's a lot of information. Uh, so there are a couple things I just wanted to ask you about the report that I read, uh, because I like this idea that, you know, we should be using our surplus electricity kind of for better things and to help people save money and 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 whatnot. Um, the one thing that I didn't understand is there's a term it's called global adjustment pay. Could you just like tell me what that is? Is that just like a, like, what is that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. You're definitely not the only one. Even some experts have a hard time wrapping their heads. Um, first of all, it's really only on Ontario. Um, it is a demand-based charge. So there's uh, what's called um, basically commodity kilowatt hour charges, which are energy based on over a certain months in your month, um, you, you consume a certain amount, but you'll have like peaks of uh, kilowatts which is a power versus an energy. And uh, your global adjustment is related to that. But um, essentially, there's there's two major components um, to your electricity commodity price for all consumers. Um, one is the what's called the HOEP, which is an acronym for hourly Ontario energy price. Um, and one is the global adjustment. And together, those two, you don't see the breakdown, but they're actually in your time of use rate. So um, although for COVID, the rate is flat right now, but generally, and it'll generally go back to the time of use rate. So the HOEP, as I mentioned, the hourly Ontario electricity price is the wholesale market price for electricity. And the global adjustment is uh, the component that covers the cost of building new electricity infrastructure. So that can be, uh, you know, green infrastructure and not so green, uh, maintaining existing resources and providing conservation and demand management programs. So basically, what is it? It covers the difference between the guaranteed price contracted to generators and the price generators actually receive for energy on the wholesale market because they're guaranteed a price. Remember, I talked about those 20 plus year long term contracts. They have a guaranteed price per kilowatt hour that they are going to be eventually paid. But in the market, the wholesale market, they might not recuperate everything that they're um, entitled to. And so that global adjustment makes up that um, difference and it generally moves in the opposite direction to the HOEP. So um, it's a very substantial uh, part of your of your bill as well. It seems like the contracts are a big part of this. So when we we sell surplus to Michigan, for example, like was that contract written a long time ago? Like uh, the prices are just kind of set in stone maybe years ago or something. And it may be very difficult to change those prices. 
Yeah, the contracts, um, I'm not so familiar with the exported uh, contracts and exactly how they work. When I was, I was talking more generally about the generators here in Ontario in terms of um, that split of, of nuclear generators, hydro, uh, gas and wind. Um, so those those contracts are yeah very difficult to get out of and the current government has tried to uh, get out of of some contracts um, especially renewable contracts and uh, there have been some quite steep penalties for example mm. yeah and we're importing are we importing all our fossil fuels in ontario yeah in terms of importing fossil fuels uh, we import them uh, from mainly uh, new york and uh, western canada Okay, so we're not getting them from like way overseas, like I know the eastern provinces are? Not typically. There might be some small amounts, but the large mm -hmm. uh, amounts are, yeah, no, New York and, and Western Canada. Um, and then I guess there is another thing that I didn't quite understand with the report. So it's so it's so nice. I feel so privileged to talk to you about this because you always have questions when you read something. So this is just great. <laughs> um, but it said that the greenhouse gas emissions are actually not reduced when surplus electricity is produced. And I didn't really understand that. Do, are you able to like explain why that is? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a, it's a good question, um, and it can be confusing for sure. Um, so surplus clean electricity will only reduce greenhouse gas emissions if it is used to displace fossil fuel usage, such as natural gas heating in homes can be displaced with electric heating, um, such as your heat pump, or electric cars instead of gasoline cars. But mm -hmm. currently, the surplus clean electricity is either wasted so not used at all, or it, uh, so it's not reducing greenhouse gas emissions, or it's exported. And when it's exported, it may reduce, or uh, likely I would say, reduce greenhouse gases in neighboring jurisdictions, especially if they run on cold-fired electricity in high emissions jurisdictions, such as New York and Michigan, for example. Um, but OSPE, Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, does not think that Ontarians should be paying to reduce our neighboring jurisdictions GHGs without being compensated specifically for the clean power. And mm -hmm. it's kind of crazy, actually. Currently, there is no premium paid for clean power in our wholesale electricity market. Um, and actually, we sell uh, dirty power exported at a higher price than clean power. It's related to our marginal cost of uh, production. Um, wow. And that means Ontario, yeah, Ontario consumers are actually paying the fixed cost of generation to clean up American airspace. Wow. Um, mm -hmm, yeah, surprising. Eh? <laughs> so you had a good, good question. That kind of um, bothers me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem fair. Like we've done all this work, you know, and I think it did cost a lot of money. And then, you know, then we can clean up their grid a little bit. But, but I guess too. So if I just go and put like a giant wind turbine in my backyard right now. <laughs> <laughs> for example, um, I might just be doing nothing because all of that wind might just go to the surplus. Yeah, and that's where um, OSPE's Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, our retail electricity price um, rate reform, the, the proposal that we're, we're hoping the government might um, consider to enacting would come in because in that, in, our, in that case, Ontarians would get the benefits. So basically, um, retail consumers could take advantage of this low wholesale price electricity um, only at times when the surplus emissions free electricity is available. So right now, that, that same low price that we're exporting to, but then if our proposal was enacted, then um, 
Ontarians could use that at that cheap price, as I mentioned, at the around half a cent per kilowatt hour, one cent. So Ontarians could use the clean power to displace fossil fuel heating or water heating, for example, again, that sort of idea of the dual fuel, electric and um, natural gas uh, or propane water, water heater, um, or again, for your electric vehicles for transportation. So charging your electric vehicles would be cheaper. Uh, cheaper, you know, clean electricity again would help in the in for um, heating your water uh, cheaper. So overall, a retail electricity consumer's electricity bill would be slightly higher, but significantly decrease their natural gas bill. So overall, your energy uh, between your your natural gas and electricity would be uh, lower and uh, lower the carbon emissions. So it really is a, a win-win, and we would propose that this would be voluntary. So we would not force anyone into this. Yeah, I think like who wouldn't want to, though, if you could save like a lot of money, especially if you're a big producer of something, I think you'd want to jump on it. But I like that it's voluntary because I don't I don't like the government just like pushing things on people too much as as much as as we can <laughs> not have that happen. So I like that it, you're still saying voluntary. Um, I, I still see a push for people for green energy in Ontario. Like it still seems to be this issue. It still seems to be this thing that everybody's like kind of all over. But, you know, with the 95 percent green energy emission free i guess uh grid you know are you are you seeing still a push for green energy like it seems like we don't really have to push for that anymore too much in ontario like it seems more more like we should be doing what you're doing and and pushing for the the cheaper and more efficient use of the surplus of this energy yes exactly i mean again i think we need to distinguish uh, between uh you know the electricity emissions-free electricity versus the rest <laughs> yeah. of energy. So, yeah, I mean, I think we still uh, need a huge push and, and, you know, people are behind, but not enough, actually, I would argue, in terms of green non-electricity energy. So for transportation, like electric vehicles are still very small percentage of the full fleet. And every electric vehicle car owner I know um, will never go back to gasoline. Everybody loves them. They're so quiet. They have a great acceleration uh, for anyone who likes fun component and low maintenance. I mean, you save just as much, well, depending on how you drive as maintenance as you do on um, the actual uh, energy because your electricity is its so efficient, the car. So even though electricity is more expensive, uh, like on a per unit basis of energy, but it's actually overall way cheaper, maybe about $8 to fill up your tank of electricity, shall we say. So, however, I mean, from a clean electricity, I, I would say, I mean, the, the Ontario government policy um, decisions to recent ones to remove the cap and trade, carbon crap and trade program and dismantle um, the Green Energy Act did cause almost all investment in green electricity to move out of the province. So that that was a, a big a big change, but um, you know right now I think we need a lot more. As I mentioned, green energy. We don't necessarily need too much more green electricity because we have this um, surplus. But in the longer term, as we electrify transportation through electric vehicles um, and also electrify the building and industrial sectors, then the green electricity demand is going to continue to grow substantially. So. Um, you know, we need buildings that are heated with green fuel, such as biogas, using low or no carbon district energy um, with the surplus clean electricity. And we need, you know, Canadian industry to invest more in research and development so we can have a, you know, greener concrete, greener steel, greener mining, that kind of thing. And this is happening. I've, I've worked with mines that are building all electric fleets underground using clean um, Ontario electricity for their heavy duty mobile equipment, as an example. I would think that Ontario would maybe advertise more that they are like a 
good green place to do electricity because I worry that Oh, gosh, where do I start on this? So I, I would like to bring some of our manufacturing and like businesses back because I'd like to buy Canadian and I think it reduces the carbon footprint of like having to ship everything overseas. And then I also am worried about sometimes we talk on our show that there's like toxins in certain materials. And I think that Ontario has some good regulation. We pay our workers very well. Uh, we have unions. We have healthcare, all this stuff. Right. So for me, I do like to buy things um, and, and support things that are are made here. But if you bring a lot of the industry back, I also worry that a lot of the pollution would come back. However, with with our clean grid, it seems like there is a lot of opportunity here to bring back some of that stuff. Yeah, I would agree 100 percent there. Um, so I work with industry that it's industrial energy and carbon emissions, which Thorne Associates we focus on. And um, so you know, again, the, the mines in, in Ontario um, are definitely where they, when they are, are on the grid as opposed to off grid, um, but there are a lot, you know, in Sudbury is a global hub of mining. Um, they are taking advantage of that and that's fantastic because we're producing, you know, cleaner nickel and other commodities and copper, et cetera. Um, as well, you know, uh, I'm working actually with the industry association right now for uh, a lower carbon reduction roadmap and and um so there you know when i talked about greener concrete greener steel greener mining etc that um those industries are all you know taking advantage of um ontario's grid so i think having more would be fantastic um yeah to take advantage of that because you know if you compare it to other countries in the world um then we will be producing much uh much greener. And I think there's a marketing job, job there for any listeners uh, who are marketing specialists. But I, I agree with you again, Laura, that um, not many people know that Ontario's grid is so clean. And um, so I think that that's something to celebrate. And for anyone, um, our government and all others who uh, want to procure um, commodities that are that are greener, they should start thinking about procuring Ontario products. Yeah, I like it. I actually didn't know before I read the report that we were at uh, 95% um, emission free. So it's really cool. So that's something to celebrate, right? Like some, you know, the environment isn't all doom and gloom. Um, I know that some things like really scare people and, and, you know, motivate people to do stuff. But I think every once in a while, it's kind of step back, nice to step back and say, you know, look at, look at this accomplishment. Uh, so I think Absolutely. that that's nice. Yeah. And and for those who are looking to reduce their, their carbon footprint, it's really important to know what the grid composition is because that'll influence. So knowing that the Ontario grid is 95% clean, actually turning off your lights is, is not going to really help your carbon footprint much. It'll help Thank your you. wallet. Yes. yes. Right. You know? yeah. So actually yeah. in Ontario, um, going back to the former environmental commissioner of Ontario, Jan Sachs, her team had put out a report, you know, the top Ontarians carbon footprint, right, are uh, flying, um, driving home heating and, and eating beef. So those are the top four, you know, if you're looking at carbon emissions and it's important to understand the grid to know that. Yeah. So that's funny that you say that because in zero waste, I'm always trying to like just reduce garbage and the things I have to use. So I have this coffee grinder <laughs> and I, I used to always like be so happy about my zero waste coffee routine because I could go get jars of coffee beans, fair trade from the bulk barn. So zero, zero garbage on my part and then put them in the electric grinder and then put them in a French press. Right. But I'm like, well, there's these two like zips of energy that I use, you know, but like really who cares? Because my, <laughs> my energy is like so clean, you know, like I think, I think if you're in zero waste, sometimes you like go too far and 
sometimes things that you do are okay and you don't have to be like cutting out everything. Because I was looking at this like $60 hand grinder for coffee. I'm like, hmm, maybe I should do that because it'll be even more environmentally friendly. But when you look at our grid and you look at the like 10 seconds it takes to grind my coffee, like I think that's like something that I shouldn't be worried about, <laughs> but that I, I I had thought about before, right? It's really a rabbit hole when you start going into zero waste um, about trying to to reduce things. So it's nice, yeah, I think to know that our grid is like, is uh, is pretty clean and that you don't have to feel bad about turning your lights on um, or heating your, your home or something, you know? Yes, absolutely. I think, again, that knowledge about our grid being uh, 95% emissions free really means, you know, please, everybody turn your attention to the other uh, areas, right? You having a heat pump actually is a huge, huge um uh, of importance in terms of your carbon emissions because that's displacing the natural gas uh, space or propane you said which is actually um, worse pretty, so pretty so bad <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah even worse than natural gas so um, <laughs> that that's fantastic but I don't have a, a option for natural gas because I live out in the country right so I don't have like a line to tap yeah. into um, if I did I certainly I certainly would um, and then, you know, looking at backup, like wood is bad because it burns a lot, like it puts a lot of CO2 into the into the air and, you know, you're cutting down trees and stuff. So that that was my decision. But um, for for the electric cars, so I would love one so much. And, you know, you're saying that they're they're awesome. I think they're great for cities. I have a couple issues with them in Canada, though. So one, my friend has one and she says the battery reduces by like about you know, just under 40%. Sometimes if it's like minus 25, minus 30. And I've had this happen to my Apple iPhone as well. I'll be out cross country skiing and like minus 20, my phone will be half charged and then all of a sudden it dies. Right. Um, so number one, I'm, I'm concerned about the freezing cold temperatures that we have in Canada. And then also uh, what I was saying about the rural route. So like I live near Belleville, there are chargers there. You can see them at the Quinney mall. Um, and I love the app, by the way, the Tesla app, where you can just plan your route and it'll tell you how long to stop at each charger. It's fantastic. Um, but I like to go kayaking on the Ottawa River and it's about a three hour drive from my house, kind of like through the woods, basically. So um, there's just no chargers anywhere around whatsoever. So I couldn't I could not enjoy nature in the way that I do on those kayaking trips if I had the EV because it wouldn't it wouldn't make it up there and back. Not yet. So, I, I mean, we have a Chevrolet Bolt and um, you can get up to, I think it's rated at 380 kilometers. Um, mm -hmm. The Teslas are uh, longer. I don't remember offhand um, what their uh, range is, but it is longer. But that is coming uh, for sure. You know, every year the ranges are, are increasing. And so, you know, the 600 kilometer range, um, it might even almost be here. I, I, but anyways, if it's not, it's very close in terms of some of the more expensive ones. Um, but in terms of the Tesla Model 3 or, or again, the Chevrolet Bolt, which are kind of the uh, more, I guess, um, middle class uh, range, then um, they're in, you know, around the, the 400 or so kilometer, which um, if you have somewhere to charge at the end, so we just drove three hours and 15 minutes um, to my parents' place on Lake Huron um, in the Northern Bruce Peninsula. And um, we were just able to, again, plug into their normal plug and uh, just charge. It did take, you know, a couple of days, but we were just hanging out there. So um, we did a small trip in between. But um, if you have a bit of time, if you're going out for the weekend and you're not going to do any major trips while you're there at your location, you can just use a normal plug and you don't even need to charge. But I agree. If you're in uh, the nature and you have nowhere to plug when you arrive and you're leaving soon after, then um, 
it is not ideal yet, but it's coming. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good because I would love one so much. Like I just I I think Teslas are really amazing. I like what Elon Musk is doing. But yeah, I just I just Googled it. So it's uh, like 217 kilometers just to get up there. So the round trip is 400 and, you know, 30 something kilometers. But then if you drive around, that's going to put it put it out more. And like it's it's a net nature thing. So there's not like I mean, I could find a place maybe to plug it in. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of one of the challenges that you see in Canada more so than like other places, um, because, you know, the U.S., there's charging stations everywhere and there's cities everywhere. Not well, not everywhere. I mean, in the the flyover areas, there are some pretty big stretches of uh, of places. But um, yeah, one of those challenges. Um, but I do like that it cleans out the air significantly. And I think that that's great. And I think it's it's really good for for kids, you know, growing up, we want clean air for their little lungs and, and stuff like that. So I'm still on the fence. Um, but I do need to get a new vehicle soon. And I, you know, for for the last year, I've been just going back and forth. So it's it's interesting to talk to you about this from like an energy perspective. And and then, yeah, if you're in like, I think if you're in Alberta, uh, I don't know what their percentages are, but I would assume that the energy wouldn't be as clean there. So you're just plugging in and probably using fossil fuels anyway. I think I think Utah and Wyoming were like that as well, where they they uh, plug into like a not as clean grid, right, to charge their car. So, yeah, it's good to know what your grid is doing, I think. Definitely. Yeah. And from your carbon footprint, because your grid is so clean, so your electricity is, as I said, 95% emissions free and you have a heat pump, the next absolute most important thing while there'd be flying, which most people are not doing much of with COVID. So it would be, yeah, your, your car. So that would be the biggest step. Um, yeah, you could you could possibly do for sure. And for mm -hmm. me, we still we don't have a heat pump yet. So at some point, we've got the car, but <laughs> we still have the natural <laughs> gas furnace. So not not uh, perfect by any stance. Everybody can improve, right? It's so funny because so many people just do what they can, right? Like some people are vegan. Some people will never be. Some people have an electric car. Some people like me have a heat pump, you know, but I drive, I have a truck, you know, so, um, but I don't, I work from home. So I like, I, I use it to enjoy nature. Like I say, I use it to enjoy what I'm trying to save. Um, and also I have like a bit of a farm, so we need it for carrying lots of big things um, <laughs> down, down to the, the fields and stuff. So it'd be really hard to get out that, but the Cybertruck's coming. <laughs> so there we go yes <laughs> i've been keeping my eye on that and i think that would be really good for delivery service too if anyone's wondering about some green business i think that would be really cool i think people would be into it uh to have like a you know an emission-free delivery service or something with uh with evs um but the the other question i wanted to ask uh going back to the study so i saw that it said that it's not practical to heat our homes entirely with electricity do you mean like in Canada because it gets so cold or like, and also my other question is why can't I heat my home when it's minus 30 with electricity? Like, is it just like way too much needed? Uh, no, it's the cost. So it's just really expensive. Um, okay. So in terms of practical, it's more like economically practical. Um, yeah. You could, you could technically, absolutely. I mean, and, uh, you know, lots of um, houses used to be fully electric. A lot of cottages, I think, are still, um, you know, fully electric. And, you know, certainly in Quebec, um, there's uh, a lot of homes that are heated uh, with electricity, too. So, but that in Quebec, their electricity is way cheaper than ours. So, um, yeah, it's really just an economics thing. Um, so it would increase basically the cost of heating sort of 
300 to 500, like three to five times if you sort of build new electrical capacity to heat our homes. If every, like if one person did wow. it or a few, it's not a big deal. But if everybody started to heat your homes electrically, we'd have to then build new like electrical generating stations, which would be hugely expensive. So um, wow. yeah, that's basically, uh, basically why it's just cost. Yeah. People used to have those like heat, heat boards. Is that what they're called? Uh, like they're Base like, boards? yeah, like Thank the you. electric. Yeah, electric baseboards uh, with like the little wire coils and you heat the electricity goes through and, and it kind of heats up, uh, radiate kind of, yeah. Yeah, but I think that became expensive in like the 80s or something. So people started to switch, I think. But I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah. what happened is the natural gas became quite cheap and electricity became a lot more expensive. So yeah, over time, people all kind of switched over to um, natural gas or propane if you're, as you say, more remote or even some people are on fuel oil. That's that's even worse, by the way. You'll have an even bigger payback if you can switch to um, some electric heating when it's cheap, et cetera, using on Ospeed's price plan uh, if you're on fuel oil or propane. Yeah. And Ontario used to have that thing where you you had like three different pricing grids, but they got rid of it for COVID. Um, so it's kind of like this a little bit where at night it's cheaper, right? So I would typically just wait till after 7 p.m. to do my laundry, but I found it difficult to remember. Like I'd often leave my laundry in there and like forget to take it out because <laughs> it was at night. Um, and, and was that, that was just based on, was that based on surplus that, that plan? Uh, no, that's what called, that's what's called time of use. So yeah. the time of use plans, yeah, they had three sort of a, um, low, immediate, intermediate and high prices. And the high prices were when um, there was peak demand. The way I remember, if it helps you, Laura, or any of your listeners is, I remember in the summer, when is your peak is going to be when it's really hot in the afternoon and everybody has their, their air conditioner on. So the peak is going to be, it's always 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. is when you change it. So that's, that's going to be the peak. And then around that, from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. and then from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., those are the intermediate. And then in the winter, it switches because in the winter, the peak is when people come home for dinner and switch on all their appliances. And then that's the... 5 to 7 p.m. Um, and in the morning, 7 to 11 a.m. is when the peak is for the winter. So if that helps at all. at all, Yeah, the uh, I saw a chart that, that showed the electricity usage and it just like spikes in the summer in Ontario. And I was really surprised. Like I thought for some reason, I thought it would be more to heat to heat our homes. But like you said, we're then we're using like fossil fuels or a lot of people still use wood even like in the rural areas and stuff. Um, so I guess, uh, yeah, the big peak is like the air conditioning. Um, you've exactly yeah from this knowledge you, you now understand the the background exactly so yes um, winter or sorry Ontario is a summer peaking province so our big large system peak like when the whole of Ontario is the most sort of um, I guess used up in terms of its capacity of how much electricity is being demanded by everybody is is in the summer so um, and there's actually some customers the big industrial customers are charged based on their percentage of how much of the five Ontario system peaks the percentage that they use and those are almost always all in the in the summer um, whereas it, the winter heating as you mentioned is usually fossil fuel not natural gas or propane or other. So you don't see that as much on the electricity side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Emily, we kind of asked this to some people, uh, what got you into caring about the environment? I think it was actually a um, sort of process. So over time, um, I started more on the technical nature in terms of energy, in terms of fuel cells, which is a certain technology. And 
um, then kind of moved into energy management, which was all about uh, reducing energy waste and that kind of thing. And I realized um, then, not immediately, but as climate change kind of became more and more important, I realized, hey, this is actually the most important issue of our whole generation, I think, like our whole century, actually. Um, so it was kind of an awakening, I think, over time as I was working with um, my industrial clients and seeing how much, you know, uh, waste there was and the improvements they'd made, but also the improvements they need still to make. And um, yeah, as the planet was getting kind of worse and worse shape, I was like, this really needs to uh, be addressed. So really happy to be part of the solution. That's really cool. And if anyone is young and listening and is maybe thinking about being an engineer, are there lots of opportunities, do you think, to be an engineer and kind of be in an environmental sort of area? Absolutely. It's a fantastic area of growth uh, from a career perspective. I'm about uh, halfway through my career. And um, uh, for those who are who are younger, I'm very confident that, you know, the next 40 years or more, um, there'll be lots of, of jobs available uh, to do good work. And you can, you know, marry your, your passion um, and uh, um, also doing really interesting uh, work in the uh, energy and environmental field. Awesome. That's really good news, I think. And uh, I guess this is the last question then, and I'll let you go because this has been such a great conversation, uh, trying to understand our grid. Um, So why is the federal government price on carbon ineffective when it comes to electricity? Because I saw this in the report too, and I wasn't sure why. Sure. Yeah. Again, a good question. Um, so the total production cost of electricity is is much more expensive than natural gas for heating. So as I mentioned, about three to five times. So you would have to have carbon prices uh, well over like $200 or more per ton of carbon dioxide to make electric energy competitive with natural gas um, when you're talking about like heating at the current um, sort of low North American price it's about uh, $3 US per million British thermal unit of um, for natural gas so so it's um, it's really again a cost uh, cost thing and that the carbon prices are not sufficient um, in terms of the uh, the dollars per ton of carbon dioxide right now so that's why they're currently ineffective in terms of just uh, electricity competing with uh, with natural gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much to understand, but I think that you made it a lot clearer for me. I feel like I understand the grid a lot more now after talking to you, which is was definitely my goal. And I, I hope if you're listening that uh, you feel the same way a little bit, and it might be cool to check out your own grid uh, wherever you are, because they're, they can be quite different. And uh Yeah, this has been great. So, Emily, I just wanted to thank you very much for coming on the show and speaking with us today. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. That was Emily Thorne Carthay. She's the chair of the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers Energy Task Force and the founder of Thorne Associates, an energy and carbon management system consulting corporation. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Laura. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.